Create for No Reason is your weekly dose of courage to stop making excuses and start bringing your ideas to life. Hello, hello. I hope you are doing awesome. I am so excited about this episode. I got to chat with someone who I've been trying to get on the show for months, and we finally made it happen. We're talking all about creativity and living an awesome life. I also just wanted to share, if you don't know, I actually, a couple months ago, or a few weeks ago, I guess, whenever it was, I started recording the podcasts live on YouTube. So if you want to enjoy an experience of actually seeing the guests and myself, you can go over to my YouTube channel, katevolman.video, subscribe to that channel, and I am probably going to have a more regularly scheduled time. I'm thinking either Tuesdays or Thursday evenings for when I record, but for now, I'm just kind of scheduling them out a couple or a week or two in advance. So anyway, check it out Check it out over there if you're not yet subscribed. Would love to, to get to know you a little bit more on YouTube, especially if one of your creations is a YouTube channel. Let's support each other. Let's support each other in the work that we're doing over on YouTube as well. So today, oh my gosh, you guys are in for such a treat because, okay, first of all, I love interviewing other podcasters because they, they know quality of audio and Saul is an incredible storyteller. So he is a Hollywood filmmaker who has worked for many high profile clients, including the Walt Disney studios, Netflix, and Amazon. He started his animation career on the Disney film Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Mulan, and Tarzan. Currently, Saul is the supervising producer at DreamWorks on the new award-winning series, Madagascar, A Little Wild. And he lives in Los Angeles with his wife and four children. Saul also hosts the weekly inspirational podcast, Life is Awesome. Saul really is awesome. I loved this episode for so many reasons. He shares his journey into getting into Disney and just so much about the creative process. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Saul Blinkoff. Saul, I'm so excited to invite you on to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kate, for having me. And your enthusiasm and your energy is awesome. So I really appreciate you being here. And I'm excited to talk about all things creative. And it's, a, it's a privilege to meet your audience. So hi to everybody watching. <laughs> well, Saul, all right. I'm so I'm thrilled because when I think about, you know, so much of our show is about the creative process and creativity, I'm like, who better to talk about creativity than Saul? And we've had an opportunity to get to know each other a little bit through Clubhouse. And I've heard so many of your stories. And every time you unmike and speak, I'm just kind of in awe of what you have to share because you have so much experience in the world of creativity. So I wanted to start, uh, for those of you, th- for those that don't know you, let's start with when did you discover your love of animation and movies? Like, how did you get into that whole world and into Disney? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, look, I was 11 years old. I grew up in New York. I didn't grow up in Hollywood. I didn't know any creative people. I didn't even know that was a job you could do. Um, I just loved uh, drawing. I started out just drawing like all kids do. You know, I used to draw on the walls with my mother's lipstick. And uh, I have a twin sister. I used to draw on her forehead with markers. <laughs> and one time I actually told my mom, I'm like, Mom, you should put Rena, my sister, on the fridge with the rest of my artwork. You know, because my mom used to hang my artwork on the fridge. My <laughs> sister did not like that idea. But I knew I was going to be an artist until I was 11. And at 11 years old, I go to the movies 
and I see a movie that changes my life. I watch the movie E.T., right? And I'm, the credits are rolling. And I remember tapping my mom and I'm like, mom, that's what I'm going to do someday. And she's like, what, you want to leave planet Earth in a spaceship? I'm like, no, I want to be a movie maker. I want to be around movies. I went to the library. I got books on cameras, lenses, storyboarding. I found out the director of E.T., Steven Spielberg, used to make movies every weekend. So I went and got a video camera, my twin sister, my older brother, and we started making movies, murder movies, monster movies. I remember one time we tied my sister up to a tree for this kidnap movie. Afterwards, we go into the house to watch the movie. I still remember my mom going, I like the movie, but where's your sister? I said, she's still tied to the tree. What's wrong? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, if my sister's watching, I do apologize, Raina. Um, but look, I knew I was going to be a filmmaker until I got into high school. And I remember walking in high school one day and somebody came up to me and said, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? And I said, well, I'm going to be a filmmaker. They're like, no, you don't want to do that. And I said, no, I really do. And they said, no, you don't. Because if you want to be a, be a filmmaker, you're going to have to move out to Hollywood. And Hollywood is filled with strange weirdos. They looked at me and said, you don't want to end up a weirdo, do you? And I'm telling you, Kate, right then and there, I gave up on my dream of wanting to be a filmmaker because one person told me, I would end up a strange weirdo. And for everyone listening, you know, think for a moment. Sometimes we're lucky enough in life to get clarity. We have a goal. We have a purpose, something we want to accomplish, a dream. And sometimes we allow people to derail us from that trajectory, to derail us from believing in ourselves. And I, I gave up on the dream. My parents said, so what are you going to do instead? And I said, well, I'll go back to being an artist. And, you know, Kate, I have very supportive parents. They got me an art teacher to come to our home a private teacher to teach me to draw from life. And she would set up a bowl of fruit and she'd teach me pencil, pastel, oil. And I was terrible at drawing hands. She knew that. And she said, you know what? Draw a hand from a different position every single night before you go to bed and you'll get better at drawing hands. And she taught me to you know, get out of my comfort zone and have the goal of turning my weakness into my strength. What an amazing, profound idea. And I was going to be an artist until I went to the movies again. And I see another movie that changes my life. I see the movie. I'll give you the clue. I'll hum the song, Kate. See if you know what it is. Ready? Okay. Uh, uh, Little Mermaid. Boom. You got it. I go see The Little Mermaid, right? The seaweed is always greener oh, in so somebody good. else's life. <laughs> And I'm watching that movie and the credits are rolling. And I tap my mom and I'm like, Mom. That's what I want to do. She's like, what? You want to fall in love with a fish? I don't get it. I'm like, no, <laughs> I want to be a Disney animator. And look, I grew up in a time, okay, brace yourself, people, before the internet. Translation, the olden days, as my kids would call it, right? <laughs> you want to be a Disney animator. You go to the Google, right? You type in Google. How do you become a Disney animator? And you find out. Well, back then, there was no Google. So I didn't have any way to find out. You know, so often, Kate, I'll meet people. And I'll ask them, what's your goal? What do you want to accomplish? And some people who are lucky enough to know, I'll ask them, well, how are you going to accomplish it? And sometimes I get a look like, I don't know how. I mean, Kate, how many times do I get an email a week, a text, a DM from somebody who says, my dream is to do a voice in a Disney movie. Can you help me? Like so many times people have goals, but they don't know how to accomplish it. You know, you go to a great restaurant, you taste an unbelievable dessert. You can make it at home if you have the recipe. Well, I didn't have the recipe. I didn't know how to become a Disney animator. But what I did have is 
the most supportive parents in history. Mm. My mom took me, not my older brother, not my twin sister, took me to Disney World and walks me around Disney World asking all the Disney cast members, that's what they call their employees, how does my son become a Disney animator? It was actually very no embarrassing. No way. Yeah, we, we actually got on the, uh, the boat ride. It's a small world. We're stepping on the boat. And the lady at Disney's like, how many in your party? And I'm like, two. We're stepping on the boat. My mom was like, by the way, my son wants to be a Disney animator. Can you help him? It was actually very embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> so we go on that boat ride. And what did lady, she say? Yeah, she's like, look, my son wants to work at Disney. You know, she doesn't really have a voice like this. She doesn't like when I do this voice. But that's how I heard it. You know, we all filter how our parents talk, right? And she said to the Disney person, look, I, my son wants this. And the Disney, the Disney lady says, look. If you want your son to work at Disney, he's got to go to he got to go to the Disney casting building was four minutes away from where we were in Disney World. So my mom takes me to this building. And can you imagine what a Disney office building looks like? I mean, it was whimsical, imaginative. It had the doorknobs from Alice in Wonderland, the ones that talk made out of brass. I open up, I still get goosebumps. I open up the doors. I walk into this atrium. There's gold statuettes of Mickey, Donald, Pluto, Goofy. Even the air was like like Disney air, like pixie dust in the air. It was like magic to me. And there's a huge ramp to go up for this interview. And painted on the ceiling is Peter Pan and Wendy flying off to Neverland. And I remember thinking, that's that's where I want to go. I want to go off to Neverland. And the woman calls me for the interview. I sit there. She goes, what are you doing? What would you like? I'm like, my, my dream is to be a Disney animator. She goes, well, we don't hire those here. We hire people that work the parks, you know, people that make the Dumbo ride go up and down. We don't hire the animators. And I was discouraged. She goes, well, hold on a second. And she walks out, comes back in two minutes later and hands me a piece of paper, which became the most valuable piece of paper I ever held in my hands. It was a list of eight schools, eight art schools that Disney recruits their artists from. She says, if you want to be a Disney animator, you need to go to one of these schools. Boom. That was the, the recipe. That was the recipe. And in my head, the equation was beginning. Saul plus go to one of these schools will equal dream. That was the, that was the beginning. That's Wait, how, how old were started. you? How old well, were you? I mean, I was in high school now. Right? I'm a junior in high school. And so my mom toured me around to each of these schools. And I remember touring uh, to one school in Columbus, Ohio. It was the Columbus College of Art and Design. And the guy is touring us around. He's showing me the artwork on the walls. And I'm telling you, Kate, the artwork on the walls was 100 times better than anything that I could ever draw. And I felt intimidated. Why would I want to go to a school where I would have been the worst artist at the school? And if anyone listening right now, if you do have a goal, if there's something creative that you want to accomplish, and you see people out there that are a hundred times better than you, you know that feeling we get where you're like that that's not for people like me. That's for people that are really talented or really good at something. I'm just average. But I chose that school because I knew that if I was in an environment like that, then I would grow as an artist. And I chose the school. And thank God they chose me. Oh my gosh, Saul, that is so, you first of all, you were smart at that age to know to go that direction and i want to know no, i was smart to listen to my mom well i was gonna say did your mom what did your mom do like did your mom have a dream like did she fulfill her dream her dream first of all no one's ever asked me that that is such a beautiful thing you just said i'm so moved by that i love that 
Um, my mom's dream. Well, I have goosebumps because I've never, I've never actually verbalized this before. And when she watches this, I know she'll appreciate it. My mom's dream. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> my mom's dream was and is to nurture her children, to become everything they could be. That's my mom's dream. And she does that as a grandmother also. She's the most loving person I've ever met in my life. And she has given selflessly to her children uh, for, for her whole life. She has blood, sweat, and tears for her children. So as I live my dreams, it's really a, it's a shared dream, you know, oh, with her. That's <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah, boy, you choked me up on that one. You really oh. got me. That's I, the real deal. That's why this is good because you get to see the emotions. You really yes. got me, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, that, that's what I was thinking. Like you said, so many people have a dream. And not only do their haters might tell them to not or people, their friends or colleagues, but family members will kill someone's dream. Yeah. So the fact that you had a mother who pushed you to go towards your dream and not only pushed you, but helped you along oh the way, even though oh, they yeah. didn't know that is an incredible gift. Yeah. And you know, the, the greatest gift she gave me wasn't just that she took me to these places, which was a physical activity that took energy and money and time. But even in just those smaller moments of the relationship, just constantly encouraging me and empowering me. And my father, too. I mean, I can remember coming home from art school and I would show my dad all my paintings and things I was doing. And he loved seeing all the stages from the first sketch to the black and white study to the color. And he was I mean, he's he's like um, if you ever watch Seinfeld, you know, Uncle Leo. Right. Mm -hmm. He's like he's the one that can't stop talking about cousin Jeffrey. <laughs> oh, your cousin Jeffrey did this. Like my dad is the one who like bores the neighbors like on and on and on about all the things that his kids do and his grandkids do. So um, if you're listening, uh, Abba, I love you. Thank you for that. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you went to the art school, obviously you got into Disney. Well, hold on. You? Whoa, whoa. Boop, boop, boop. Back up, back, back up. up. It's not that easy. It's truly not that easy. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me tell you a couple of things that happened along the way. I mean, first of all, when I got into this school, this is before Pixar existed. This is before DreamWorks, okay? If you wanted a job in animation, it was Disney. And the first week in the school, I go into the auditorium. There's a special presentation from the head of Disney Animation who's coming to our school to do a presentation. And this guy was over 70 years old, was one of the original animators on Sleeping Beauty. He used to hang out with Walt Disney. I mean, to oh. me, it was like Walt Disney himself coming to our school. I was That's freaking so out. So cool. Right? So he gets on the stage. And the auditorium is filled with like 750 students, every freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. And he says to us, how many of you want to be Disney animators? Every hand went up. He said, just so you know, out of this entire auditorium, maybe, just maybe four of you will ever work there. That's how competitive it is. Wow. And when he said that, I remember thinking one thing. I wonder who the other three are going to be. Because in life, we either believe in ourselves that we can accomplish or we don't. I mean, deep down, do we really believe that we can accomplish? Not what we tell people on Facebook or Instagram, what we talk about. I mean, deep down, do I really believe in myself? And at that point in my life, I believed in myself. Then he says, if you want to get to Disney, you got to get the internship. No internship, no Disney. 
And in order to get the internship, here's what you need. And I'm on the edge of my seat, Kate. I'm like, I can't believe I'm about to find out exactly what I got to do. He says, you got to get a portfolio, 25 pages filled with hundreds of drawings of figures and animals drawn from life. No cartoon characters, no Mickey Mouse. We want to see that you can draw the human body, figure drawing from life and animals. So sophomore year, after like a year and a half, I get my drawings together. I put them in a portfolio and uh, I sent them into Disney. And I got a letter back on Disney stationery. It had a gold uh, Mickey, like uh, embossed on there. My name was typed on the front. I open up the letter and it says, Saul, thanks for sending your portfolio in, but unfortunately you didn't make it. All right, I got rejected. I wasn't discouraged. I didn't expect to get in the first time. I just wanted to go through the process. I took that letter. I put it up over my desk. I remember I was actually excited that the Disney company knew I was alive. They had my name (laughs) printed on an envelope. People were coming into my dorm room. Well, blink off. The Disney company knows you're alive. It was cool, right? Another year goes by and me and my best friend, Andy, would draw all the time. And let me tell you, Andy was by far the best artist in the school because he never stopped drawing. And just me being friends with someone like that made me a better artist because who we choose to be friends with actually affects who we become. And I can tell you his work ethic, his integrity, his inspiration, it impacted me in a huge way. If I wasn't friends with him, I don't know if I would have been here today. He had such an impact on me, an amazing guy, amazing, talented artist who had his own career at Disney and Sony and Incredible Studios and children's books. You should go check him out. His name is Andy Harkness. Incredible work. But let me tell you, that that year, Andy and I drew all the time. I remember one day we went to the zoo and it was freezing, bitter cold day. And Disney says you got to do drawings of animals. So you go to the zoo. And there was about 15 students. We go to the zoo that day. The second we get to the zoo, everyone goes into the cafe because it's freezing to get hot drinks and stuff. After a couple minutes, Andy and I go to the zoo, out to the zoo. We're walking around and we find an elephant who's just walking back and forth for like 40 minutes. And when you're studying movement, it's the greatest gift you could ever ask for. To see an animal repeat the same movement and just watching that elephant like with the you know the ears flopping and the tail it was amazing Andy and I are freezing and we're doing drawings of these elephants afterwards we get into the bus I'm showing him what I drew he's showing me what he drew and then I say to one of the other guys hey we never saw you with the elephants how come how come you guys never got there what animals did you draw this guy says to me well none of us ever left the Wendy's none of us left I said why not he goes we couldn't I said why not he says because it was too cold Mm. Right? It's like, oh, I thought your dream was to work at Disney. You know, if you watch a Netflix documentary about somebody that's achieved something great, you know what they all have in common? That they push through pain, that they have the expectations that there's going to be struggle. It's one thing to dream big. It's another thing to work big, to work big through that pain, because that's the thing that separates people that succeed from people that just talk. It's, are you really willing to put in the work? So Andy and I get our drawings together. We send them into Disney and we wait. Two months go by and I get a call one day that's Andy. He was home. It was Christmas break. I'm like, what's up, buddy? He's like, dude, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He goes, I got it. 
I said, you got what? He goes, I got the internship. I'm like, that's incredible. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. He goes, but they didn't call you yet? I'm like, no, but they could be trying to call me right now. We didn't have call waiting back then, right? So I hang up the phone. I'm pacing in the dining room, right? My mom comes in at that moment. She's like, honey, what happened? My mom, Andy got in. She's like, they're going to call you any minute. And they're not calling. Finally, I pick up the phone and I call the head of Disney myself. Who does that? Well, I did. Because when there's something you want in your life, you will do anything to get it. And I get the guy on the phone from Disney, like, hi, my name is Saul Blinkoff. He goes, oh, Saul, I have your name on the list here. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, you didn't make it. I said, what? He goes, yeah, I'm sorry. We didn't accept you. I said, oh, okay. I said, what about Andy? He goes, yeah, he made it. You didn't. I'm like, oh, I hang up the phone. That was a, a bittersweet moment. Sweet because I was happy for my best friend. But bitter because my dream was shattered. You know where Andy's going? To Disney World. Kate, what do they call Disney World? The happiest place on on earth. Right? Like what a great tagline to call. Right? Well, Andy's going to sunny, beautiful Orlando, Disney World, happiest place on earth. I'm going back to Ohio in the wintertime. <laughs> what I thought was the most depressing place on earth. And then when I get back to school, I'm walking the halls and people are coming up to me like Blinkoff, what are you doing here? I'm like, you didn't get into Disney like now. Like, what about Andy? Oh, like he got in. You didn't. I became known as the guy that was friends with the guy that got into Disney. I became known as the guy who didn't get what he really, really wanted. And I felt like a loser. And then I came up with the most profound way to take that feeling away. And if anyone listening, if you ever have a moment in your life where there's something you truly want and you don't get it and you feel like a loser, you do what I did and that feeling goes away in a second. You know what I did? I gave up. I gave up on the entire dream because reality set in. Reality was Andy was talented. Andy was awesome. And I was just average. So I give up on the dream. A week later, a buddy calls me and says, Saul, I got tickets to go see a movie. You want to go? I'm like, I'm not in the mood. He's like, but they're free. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go. <laughs> so I go to the movies and I see movie number three that changes my life. I saw the movie about a guy, a true story. He's five feet tall. He doesn't have an ounce of athletic ability, and he wants to play football at Notre Dame. What movie is it, Kate? Rudy. Boom. You got it. Rudy. Rudy. It's a great movie, right? Yes. Yeah. So I see that movie, which is a true story. And by the way, this guy's five feet tall. He's not even athletic. If you were friends with Rudy Rudiger, and you told him, and he told you his dream was to play football at Notre Dame. You know what you would have told him as his friend? Dude, I love you. Get a new dream. But Rudy's like, oh, yeah? Well, we'll just see about that. And he tries to get into Notre Dame, rejected. Tries a second time, rejected. Third time, rejected. But fourth time, if you look at the movie poster for the movie Rudy, it says when people tell you dreams don't come true, tell them about Rudy. He gets in. And let me tell you, Kate, tears are streaming down my face because I was thinking one thing. If an unathletic kid could get into Notre Dame with an insane amount of work, then what I thought was an untalented artist could get into Disney with an insane amount of work. And I decided to never give up again. I got drawings together, sent them into Disney, and I waited. And boom. When you wish upon a star makes no difference who you there you go i got in and it was incredible i remember calling up my mom and i'm like mom and she could hear it in my voice she's like honey did you do it i said no mom we did it oh we did this mom you took me here you took me there but mom this winter you can stay in new york because i'm going 
to the happiest place on earth. So, yes, I got into Disney. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Saul, that is so incredible. Okay. First of all, one thing that I find particularly interesting is how you had this dream and it was so clear to you. Yeah. Do you feel like it's almost like that dream was meant for you? Right. And makes it a, I don't know, when you look at people yeah. or when you talk to so many people, do you find that that not everyone has such a crystal clear vision yeah. of a dream? You know, first of all, that's the number one question that I get asked, what you just said. And I, you know, I travel the world speaking and sharing a lot of my story and hopefully tools for people to accomplish. But the number one question I get, somebody will always come up to me and they'll be like, you know what? I appreciate that you had that clarity in your dream, but I don't know what my dream is. What do I yeah. do? And, you know, even sometimes when I'm talking to my kids, you know, people think, oh, Saul, you're such a motivated dreamer. Your kids must be, you know, so like dream or motivated. I'm like, my kids still don't know what they want to do. They're normal, right? I'm just the abnormal <laughs> one. Right? But let me tell you the advice that I that I give people when, when they ask that. So, you know, when you look at a, a movie poster, right? You look at a movie poster, you're not sure if you're going to commit to the movie yet. You're like, okay, what's the title? Okay, who's in it? What was their last movie? Maybe I'll go, maybe I won't. I don't know yet. But then you watch the trailer. The trailer's the best scenes of the movie. It's not the movie, but it's the best scene. You know, it's mm -hmm. like dating. It's like dating, right? Those single people. You look at a person, right? The picture, you meet them. They're like, they're attractive. You're not going to commit to marrying them yet, right? Unless you're like, what's her name? Anna and Frozen. And that didn't work <laughs> out. Hopefully I didn't spoil the movie for anyone, right? But so you, you, you got the, you're looking at the package. There's attraction, yeah, but I'm not sure I'm going to commit to marriage. But you know what I will do? I'll go on a date with the person. You know what a date is? It's the movie trailer. It's all the best scenes of that person, right? Mm -hmm. They dress up. They got their cologne, their perfume, a mint in their breath, right? Perfect. They're behaving nice to the waiter, the waitress, right? Pulling out chairs. Believe me, 20 years later, they're married. They ain't going to be pulling out your chair. Probably. Maybe they will, but they probably won't, right? But here's the thing. We have to date careers. What does it mean? It means find something that interests you. Even if you're not sure you want to commit to it for the rest of your life. And everybody's interested in something. Let's imagine you're listening right now and you're like, yeah, I like sports. I like sports, but I'm not good enough to be an athletic. You know, I'm not going to be in the NBA. Maybe you want to be a sports agent, but I don't really know what that is. Well, then go date it. What does that mean? Go investigate what sports agents go through. Mm. Find them online. Go to LinkedIn. Find one of them and beg them that you're going to take them to lunch so you can pick their brain and find out what the life of a sports agent is like. And after you go through that dating, maybe one day you'll wake up and you'll get that clarity of, boom, that's what I want to do. Or maybe you won't. But either way, when we date our interests, it will lead to more excitement, more passion. And you build it until one day you wake up and you just know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right? so, so good. <laughs> so what has surprised you the most in your career? Wow. You asked the best questions. You're, you're, these are the best questions. I love getting asked something I've never been asked. These are phenomenal questions. Um, the most surprising thing for me in my career would probably be the change that I've had from when I was 24 starting out to now. 
And that, that changes, you know, when I started out, all I wanted to do was work in animation my whole life. I wanted to be uh, an animator. I wanted to be a director, a producer. That was everything. I worked on it 24 seven. Every weekend it was just, how can I create more ideas and do stuff? I made short films and all these projects. And now looking back, the biggest surprise is that I, I try to, I try to balance my life more. You know, I'm a dad. I have four mm -hmm. kids. I don't want to work on Sunday, not because I don't want to work, but because I want to be with my kids. I want to be with my wife, you know? So the biggest surprise I've had is hopefully the growth I've had as a human being and realizing that, you know, like a diamond is always brightest when it has many facets. If it's only one facet, one side, it's not going to be bright. Michael Jordan had an incredible facet called basketball. But no matter how bright that facet was, it has nothing to do with his facet of being a father, mm. being a husband, helping a community, impacting the world in other ways. Each one of us has many facets. And the biggest surprise I've had is trying to, you know, grow the different interests and passions I have. And when I was 22, I didn't think that would ever happen. I was just so one note. I just want to be at Disney. I just want to be at Disney, Disney. That was everything Disney. Now, it's not that I'm at Disney or that I'm at DreamWorks. It's what are the projects that I'm working on? How will they make an impact? What are the values? I mean, I remember when I got rejected the second time, I remember being on the phone with my sister once, Kate, and I remember telling her, if I could just sit at a table and draw Mickey Mouse, the same drawing of Mickey Mouse over and over and over again, I'd be the happiest person in the world. And just for your uh, viewers, I might as well at least do one of those drawings for you guys right now and show you. This is, uh, this is, this, this is, this is how it happens. Can you guys see this? Okay, watch this. Ooh, okay, quick. and if I'm you're only get... listening on the podcast, you got to go on to YouTube and watch this video. <laughs> I start I start with a circle. This will be done in like five seconds. We'll do it really quick. And I remember when I walked into Disney the first time, I didn't know how to draw Mickey Mouse. And they taught me how to draw Mickey Mouse. And they said in that first day, for the rest of your lives, if you ever draw Mickey Mouse, it better be a real Mickey Mouse. It's a responsibility Mm. Uh, that you represent this company. And I used to tell my sister, if I could just sit there doing this, drawing Mickey Mouse every day for the rest of my life, I would be happy. And that's something I think we all want. We all want that happiness. But now that I'm getting older, you know, uh, I'm over 40 now, right? Is that old? I don't know. There you go. There's Mickey Mouse. Boom. Can you guys see oh, that? Oh, so good. So, but now... I look at my life and I'm like, I don't want to just do what makes me happy. I want to try to do things that bring me meaning. And mm. meaning comes from when we look at the world and we think of it as our responsibility. I don't just draw because I love to draw. I see that ability as a responsibility and try to use it to make an impact, you know? That's something also that brings me a lot of uh, clarity and meaning. And for anyone listening, if you haven't figured out right now exactly what you want to do with your career, don't be propelled with the question of what can I do to make me happy? It's what can I do to impact, to serve humanity? You know, Winston Churchill had a beautiful quote. I love this quote. My wife and I always talk about this quote. He said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. To wake up every day and know that we take responsibility for the world. By the way, it's the same thing that happens in Lion King. 
right? Simba, let's talk Disney for a minute. Simba, when he's young, he thinks being a king is he can do whatever he wants. Mufasa says, Simba, there's more to being a king than getting your way all the time. Simba's like, there's more? Ultimately, he learns the lesson after he's living in Hakuna Matata world where he has no worries, no responsibility. He's living in the lap of luxury. It's Garden of Eden. There's waterfalls. He's on a hammock in a jacuzzi. I mean, he's living the vacation life that we all want. But after Nala shows up, she says, Simba, you got to come back with me. He's like, no, no, Hakuna Matata. I'm staying here. She's like, no, no, no. I didn't make myself clear. You got to come back with me because Scar's taking over everything. And if you don't come back with me, everyone's going to die. And you are responsible. And then you know what Simba says? Hakuna Matata. I'm staying right here. Nala leaves. He ends up alone. Then Rafiki comes, hits him on the head. He sees the reflection in the clouds. He sees Mufasa's face. Remember who you are. Goes back to defeat Scar. And it becomes the biggest animated movie of all time. Not because we love movies about lions. But because that movie gave us a taste of what real meaning is. You know what greatness is? Waking up every day and saying, how can I take responsibility for the world? That's got to be the goal. Ah, oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> I don't know the words. I just make it up. Uh, that's so beautiful. I think a lot about cre- our creative pursuits. I believe that creative pursuits are those soulful activities that just bring a lot of joy to us. And they're oh, different yeah. for everyone that right. you know, singing, dancing, writing, drawing, whatever it is. Right. And I believe that they have kind of a life of their own inside of us. They're placed inside of us for a reason. And it's our responsibility to use them and to feed into them. And I'm curious to know, do you believe that everyone is creative? Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. You want to know what I do? I do um, I do a workshop. I told you I travel and speak, but sometimes companies will bring me or uh, organizations will bring me to do a workshop and I'll get a room of like 200 or 500 people for one hour. And what I do is I first have them all, I give them one minute, not copying it, looking at anything. I have everyone draw Mickey Mouse from their memory the best they can. And people are like freaking out. I don't know how and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And they're just uncomfortable. And I say to them, you're not allowed to look at anyone's paper next to you the entire time. Got to just see what you know. And then when you're done, put the page underneath, turn it over. And then they do it and they're uncomfortable. And then for the next 40 minutes, I teach them the Disney method to drawing Mickey Mouse. And at the end, they look at what they've just accomplished and they are in shock. They can't believe that they did it. And then I have them take out the first drawing they did and look at it next to it. And they can't believe what they've accomplished. And what I love about that is, you know what? I do believe anyone can draw. The, the hurdle that we have to get through, it's very difficult for people to look at a blank piece of paper. You know, one of the greatest pleasures that we will ever feel in the experience of being a human being is tapping into creativity. And just think for a minute. I don't mean just for artists. I mean, creativity in general There's so many ways to tap into creativity. And when we tap into creativity, when we look at a blank piece of paper, in order to create something that no one's ever created before, we need to first be vulnerable, right? We have to be vulnerable, to be willing to put your mark on the piece of paper, to take your paper. I had an art teacher once that said to me, he's like, I was teaching this class for 30 years. He goes, you want an A, show me something I've never seen before. 
And for us to be vulnerable and tap into something that no one's ever done, it's something that's unique to us and put it out there, it's an incredible rush of pleasure. By the way, they say that, you know, we're most like God when we create. He's known as the creator, right? We, when we create, we tap into that spirituality. We tap into that purpose and it's an incredible pleasure. And I have seen people who just have a fire and a passion put in minimal discipline and just become better and better as artists. Mm -hmm. Look, is there structure, design, figure, discipline that you have to learn? Yeah. Color is color. Color may make you feel a certain way, but you have to understand as a designer how to use color, how saturated, how colorful. What happens when you put this color next to this color? How will it make someone feel? You know, my job as a filmmaker is to be an expert at understanding lighting, color, camera, all things design so that I can manipulate an audience to feel something. How is it that we're crying when you're watching a movie? How are you, how, what is the emotion we feel when we watch, you know, Beauty and the Beast and the Beast is lying there and Belle says, I love you. And that rose petal falls down and you're crying the first time you see something like that. Because Glenn Keane, who animated that scene, was a master at understanding design. There are structural things we have to learn. But when we combine those with our unique passion, then you get to break through and get someone to not just know something, you get them to feel something. And I think, ultimately, that's what all artists really want. Yeah, you're right, Kate. Artists are there to create so they can tap into something that gives them pleasure. I want to paint because it brings me pleasure. I want to... But when you create something and you show it to the viewer and they get to have their own experience with it, what could be better than that? Ah, uh, you know, nothing. It's the best. Okay. So this brings me to, cause I have to, when, like I said, we originally met on clubhouse. I got to yeah. hear you say many brilliant things. And Thank one you. of them, I actually wrote down, Saul, this is months and months ago. I don't even know how long ago this was. This was, I don't even remember. Anyway, I wrote it down on oh this gosh. card. So for what those of you that? that are just listening, this is a bright green um, index card. And it says, the reward for creativity is creativity itself. Ooh. Saul Blinkoff. Look at that. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That is that is historic. I remember saying that. I only said that that one time, too. Well, it's been on my desk since you said it because – and that's yeah. when I said – Saul, I need you on my podcast. Oh, wow. Because it you said that, and I yeah. thought, oh, this is the whole essence of create for no reason. Yeah. It's tapping into your creativity just for the fun of it, just for the joy of it, and you don't yeah. know where it's going to lead. But I love that you have such passion around creating, not only drawing, but then animated and movies. And the way oh, you yeah. talk about movies and, uh, like, eliciting a response, I have to know. Since you have such a love of movies, obviously, a lot of people, we love movies, we love music, but you have this, the way that you talk about your decisions and how these movies affected your life is so incredible. I'm so fascinated to know you've worked on a ton of great movies. What movie do you wish you could have worked on? That I didn't. That you is that what you're saying? Ooh, yes. that's a great question. <clears throat> um, okay, first of all, about that quote, I got to tell you one thing. You know, the reward for creativity is creativity itself. Do you know who knows that better than anyone is children? Mm, yes. 
And those of you who are parents, watch your kid when they're in that stage between like two or even maybe one with a crayon or some marker. And like, let's say 10, nine or 10. They're at that point where they, they, they sit there with blank paper and crayons and they're creating and they will hold up a picture that looks like I don't even know what, and they'll tell you what it is. And you're like, in your head, you're like, that don't look anything like a tree to me. <laughs> but they're like, no, 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 that's not only a tree, that's a redwood tree. And they look at, there's a bird. They're like, that ain't no bird. What are you talking Right? But kids, they're not creating to get to anything. There's no outcome they're looking for. The passion they have and the pleasure in every line, every mark they make is bringing them that pleasure. What we tend to do as we get older is we start to have that voice in our heads telling us either what's the end goal, what's this for, number one, and two is, even worse, is how will people perceive it? What will people think of me? What will people think of me? To be vulnerable is to say, this is how I want to create something. And I do want people to react to it. But we have to have the confidence in ourselves that we don't care what people think of us and the, the, the line that I like to share, especially when I meet with high school kids or any teenagers is, don't ever let others define how you feel about yourself. Listen carefully. Don't ever let anyone define how you feel about yourself. To be able to look in the mirror and love who you are and appreciate who you are as being unique, that's got to be the goal. But to go to your question of what do I wish I could have worked on that I, that I didn't, well, uh, that's an easy question for me because I'm a big movie guy. Um, one of them is the movie that got me, uh, you know, look, E.T. was the movie that made me want to be a filmmaker. But at my favorite movie, top movie of all time, number one for me. My kids know it. I'll show you the toy. Those of you that can't see, let's see if Kate's going to get it. I don't think Kate's going to get this. This <laughs> character, here we go. I'm showing a toy of a man with a harpoon because i'm you know us animator types have different toys at our desks some of you are looking at your screen right now and you know who this is this is the actor robert shaw and he starred in the movie here kate i'll give you the theme from the movie and you'll tell me the movie you ready okay. here we go because you did it last time with little mermaid see if you get this all right here we go <laughs> three two here we go Boom 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 that's the whole theme it's one of the greatest scores of all time. Written by John Williams. I'll give you a clue. Great White Shark. Boom, 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 oh, Jaws. There you go. It's Jaws. Okay, fine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I never would have guessed that with that, uh, with, with just tra looking at tra that. Doll. Translation, Saul, you did not sing it so well, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, the true story about that movie is when John Williams, the composer, wrote the melody, he brings Spielberg in to play it for him the first time. And, and John Williams plays on the piano, those two notes, dung, 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 dung. And Spielberg's like, no, seriously, when's the theme happening? And John Williams like, no, no, that's it. That's oh the theme. Oh, my gosh. The two notes. And it becomes one of the best scores of all time. But Jaws is the movie that, when I got older, made me really want to understand the craft of filmmaking. I love that movie. But uh, it was so before my generation. So I, 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 it's not the movie that I had to work on, but I wish I, I could have just to learn from Steven Spielberg. But out of all the movies uh, to work on, uh, as much as I love Lion King to death, but everybody who knows me, especially my friends at Disney, they know that I wished I could have worked on Aladdin because I just, 
I love that character. I love drawing that character. Um, uh, a whole new world, one jump ahead, one jump ahead of the bread line. Oh, one so hit, good. Ahead of, I mean, I just love that character. I love that that movie. And uh, I wished I could have worked on Aladdin. Yeah, it would have oh, been nice. That yeah. would have been fun. And actually, there's one scene in that movie that always gets me. And when they were making the movie Aladdin, they had a tough time because in act one of the movie, Aladdin steals a loaf of bread. Do you remember that? Yeah. So, he, so he's a thief. And they were in a story session, and the, the legend goes that Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was running the studio, the animation part then, said he's coming off unlikable. And the writer said, I got an idea. Because Jeffrey Katzenberg said he's coming off unlikable. The writer said, I got an idea. Let's have him steal the loaf of bread. And then what does he do, Kate? What does he do with the bread? Do you remember? He gives it away to people. Who does he give it away to? You're doing good, Kate. I'm impressed. <laughs> Think of the scene. Do you remember? He gives it to two um, kids, little kids, oh, kids. Yes. kids that are hungry yes, yes, and starving, yes. little homeless kids, and they're rummaging through trash cans. They have no food. And he doesn't give them a piece of the bread. He gives them the whole loaf. Mm. And right in that moment, we're with this character. And that's, that's something you can see in any great movie or great story. In order to love a character, we always want to see them be kind to either a kid or an animal or an old person. When you see that, then you automatically like that character, right? Anyway, Luke Skywalker, also respectful to Obi-Wan, Karate Kid. The very first time we ever meet Ralph Macchio's character, the Karate Kid, he's in this new apartment complex. The first scene of the movie, he's walking up the steps. There's an old lady there. He goes in, comes out, and gives the old lady's cat like a bowl of milk or water or something. Mm. Now I like this kid because he yeah. cares about others. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. If you could create, if you were asked right now to create a feature film, what would it be about and who would be the stars? Oh, that's easy. Now you're asking me the easy questions. Okay, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you who it would be about. Okay, because I'm, I'm, um, I'm a filmmaker and this is a character. I'm going to show you guys. This is a little pig that me and one of my uh, closest friends created years ago. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. He's a little pig. His name is Rudy. We named him after the movie that inspired me to want to, you know, not give up. And right now I'm developing a project with this little guy and I'm pitching it this week. So if anyone thinks you're going to steal this idea, good luck because it's all copyrighted already. <laughs> so don't even try. But this is a character, uh, a dreamer character. And the, you know the expression, when pigs fly? Yep. It means like that's impossible. It'll never happen, right? So the motto I came up with is if pigs can fly, you can try. And I'm writing a story about a dreamer pig who dreams of flying. And hopefully it will inspire kids to reach for their dreams and to try. Yeah, that's that's my ultimate project to work on. Who would Who would I cast in it? I don't know. I guess it's – what's his name? Tom Holland? Isn't that – that's all my – that's all my girls talk about is Tom Holland. Isn't that oh, Spider-Man? Yeah. Oh, is that Spider-Man? Yes. I think it is. Oh my gosh. There's so Some, many Somebody's screaming at the video right now. I go, you don't know his name? I think his <laughs> name is Tom Holland. <laughs> so yeah, that would be probably it. Tom Do Holland. Do you have any creative rituals? Yeah. Yeah. Again, you're asking me stuff I've never been asked. I love it. So the first ritual I have is I can't create if my workspace is not a hundred percent clean, organized, mm. everything. 
So when I was in college and I would have to do like a 20 hour painting, I would spend like an hour organizing, cleaning my room. Everything has to be perfect in my environment. That's my ritual to create because I get so I'm a very visual person. So I get very distracted easily. So that's why uh, whenever I create in my office at DreamWorks, I even had the, uh, <laughs> the line producer have to paint my office white. The first day she's like, but it is white. I'm like, no, no, I ain't no white. That's like off white. I need hospital white, like stark <laughs> white. And she gave me a look like I was crazy, and they got my. You're office. so high maintenance. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I I offered to paint it myself. She goes, no, no, we'll paint it for you. So they paint the whole office. But you know, like at the bottom of the office, at the bottom of the wall, you have that like three inch like like border on the floor, mm-hmm. like a molding of every room, right? Well the molding there was black and she couldn't paint that. And I could not stand looking at the contrast between that black line and the white wall. So I went and bought out that like white film paper that you put on like cabinets, that sticky stuff. And I cut it by hand. I spent half a day covering up all that black paper just so I could breathe visually in my white room to create. That's how crazy I am. Do you feel bad for my wife who has to live with me? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, that's that's what I do. Yeah, and I also, I'll tell you one other thing I do when I create is uh, music is a big deal for me. And I put on one soundtrack to one movie. I've been listening to it almost daily for over 20 years. I listen to the same soundtrack over and over again, every track. No matter what I'm feeling in the car, if I'm excited, I'm driving the car and I want to put the windows down or if I'm feeling down, I want to be uplifted, whatever it is, I put on the soundtrack from Hans Zimmer. The movie is Gladiator. And I put Mm. on that track. Now we are free. So anyone listening, if you haven't heard this soundtrack, just check out that song. Now we are free and see how it makes you feel. See if it uplifts you. See how it makes you feel. Just beautiful. That's part of my ritual. When I want to create, I put on that soundtrack, I focus, clean, and then hope to create something unique. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. All right. I feel like I could spend so much time talking to you. I know we got to wrap it up. But I do want to know, what is your biggest challenge right now? Uh, Biggest challenge I have is raising four kids. Four (laughs) kids. Yeah. You know, um, and I'll tell you why it's the biggest challenge. Because in order to raise human beings, we need to become a successful one first ourselves. It's one thing to tell my son to have integrity or to tell one of my daughters to have humility or to tell my kids to be giving. But it's another thing for me to embody those things myself. And the greatest challenge I have in my life is the same challenge I've had every day of my life is I want to grow as a human being. I want to become a better version of myself. You know, you watch a child at one years old compared to one years old and two years old, and it's monumental change. The things they can do at two, they could never have done at one. Their vocabulary is so much more. They can speak. They can do so much. But from two years old to eight years old, it's night and day. Think how much more they can do. That should inspire all of us to try to grow. You know, every day we walk out of our homes, we come back in. We shouldn't be the same person when we walk in at the end of the day because we've just had another day of life. The goal of life, in my humble opinion, is to grow and to work on ourselves. And that's why, for me personally, that is the greatest challenge I have. 
because, you know, we're human and we make mistakes. So my greatest challenge is trying to become the best version of me that I can be. I once heard a beautiful quote, we're not human beings, we're human becomings. We grow, we evolve, we change. So my greatest challenge is the greatest goal that I have is that I want to become a better person today than I was yesterday. And it's not a cliche. I mean it for real. That's why I started my podcast, by the way, Life of Awesome, it's called. And in those episodes, some episodes are me just sharing ideas about how to work on ourselves or how to become better spouses or in relationships or leadership or or raising kids or whatever. And some of them are interviewing people who are very successful, but I'm not interested in people that are successful at life or people that are successful at a living. I want them successful at life. I want to hear what's the secrets to all of life, how to balance it all. So I do urge people. I got to plug my podcast, right? Oh, we were going to cl- Yeah, we're plugging are the we podcast. Plugging? You we're listen? plugging the podcast. You heard I listen it, right? to the pod. Listen, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking Saul needs a podcast because that voice <laughs> is great. So yes, he does have an incredible podcast. Thank you. So check it out. Life of Awesome. And uh, it's really just a great honor for me to be able to share those episodes. And I got to tell everyone who's listening right now, you got to come see Kate get, do an interview because her enthusiasm, her smile, she like lights up when she talks about creativity. She's such an incredible person. I'm so happy, Kate, that I got to meet you today. And uh, someday we will grab a coffee, you, me and my wife. Yes. And we'll get to meet in person. I would love that. I would absolutely love that too. Um, Saul, all right. I'm going to let you go. But two things. One, what is your definition of creativity? My my definition of creativity is expressing your vulnerability. Mm. Expressing your vulnerability. You can't truly create if you don't take a risk, if you're not vulnerable, can't really do it. By the way, it's the same thing in relationships. You want a successful marriage? You got to be vulnerable. Intimacy is vulnerability. I love that. I'm like writing this down. I'm like, I love, I, I did. I really, really <laughs> love that. Um, and then the last thing, because I always ask my guests to share one exercise for the audience, 10 minutes or less that we can do to improve our creativity. Okay. Um, the, the exercise to me, it's, it's the simplest thing. It's going to sound like a cliche, but I promise you, if you do this, it will affect and change your life. When you wake up in the morning, the second your eyes open, don't hit the snooze button. Don't pull the covers up over your head. The second you open your eyes, even if you don't feel like it, sit up. Just sit up right away. Start the day with a little bit of that energy. And then while you're sitting up, close your eyes for a moment and think with gratitude how lucky you are to have another day to create yourself. Start the day with gratitude. Start the day with gratitude and it will change your day. Instead of starting the day with everything that I want to accomplish and do, just start the day with, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to have life one more day. Then take that inspiration and then go create. Love it. And also listen to Life of Awesome and you'll get inspired to create for sure. It's so interesting before we jumped on this uh, 
we were talking about one of Saul's episodes and I was like, I'm fascinated not only by the content, but also how you put it together. It's one of the most well-produced podcasts that I listen to and the way that you kind of incorporate different scenes from the movies that you love to help make your points. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Definitely check it out. So much, Kate. Thank you so (laughs) much. So excited to meet you and everyone who uh, joined us today. Thank you for listening and sharing your time. I'm really honored to, to have you all here. Thank you. Okay. I told you, you were going to like this episode, right? It's so good. Saul is a natural born storyteller. He just knows how to share a story that just kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat. Like the way that he describes how he got into Disney and the effort that it took and how he just kept showing up and putting in the work and the effort and the energy. And oh my gosh, the dream of his mother. Oh, so, so good. I also really particularly like his definition of creativity, expressing your vulnerability. I've never heard anyone say that before. And I love asking people about their definitions of creativity That one just, to me, it just struck me so differently than anything else I've heard. But what do you think? What are your thoughts? What is your definition of creativity? All right. I hope you loved this episode as much as I loved it. It was so much fun. I seriously could have talked to Saul for hours, but hey, (laughs) hopefully we can get him back on the show another time. If you have any other questions for him, uh, please let me know so that when I do interview him again, um, you know, I can ask him those questions as well, but please connect with him over on his social media, on his Instagram. You can check out his website at saulblinkoff.com and definitely check out Life is Awesome. It is one of the most incredibly produced podcasts ever. In fact, I told him before we recorded, I said, oh my gosh, I'm a little nervous to even have you on my show because his is beautifully produced, uh, which is a little different than mine here over on Create for No Reason, but he's amazing. You're amazing. As always, I'm so appreciative. Thank you so much for listening. I just love doing the show. I love that you are enjoying it. I always encourage people to message me over on Instagram. Let me know what you liked best about the episode. And if there is somebody that you would like for me to reach out to, to interview, let me know. I'm always looking for really incredible guests. I have a couple scheduled that I'm really excited about. So let me know how I can support you in your creative efforts. Uh, But I do love hearing from you. And if you haven't yet written a review over on iTunes, please do so. It helps me with the show. It helps other people find the show. And also, I just like to see the reviews. I like to see what you guys are getting out of the show. So thank you again for being here. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there and there's a lot of other things you could be doing with your time. So I am grateful that you turn this show on. So thank you so much. And until next time, go create something.